Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. So today I'm speaking to Emma Brockwell. Emma is a women's health physiotherapist and co-founder of the Pelvic Raw Campaign Group. You may know her from Instagram as PhysioMomUK. She's the author of the book, Why Did No One Tell Me? How to Protect, Heal and Nurture Your Body Through Motherhood. And she's also the co-host of the At Your Cervix podcast. Emma is a keen runner and she co-authored the UK's first return to running postnatal guidelines designed to give mums advice on getting back to exercise safely after birth. Emma, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really intrigued to know how you got involved in writing these guidelines about women getting back into running safely. What was out there before you started writing these? Did you get any advice yourself when you wanted to get back into exercising after having a baby? I want to say yes. (laughs) Desperately want to say yes. But my answer is no, unfortunately. Um, So I had my first baby nine years ago. And that feels like a lifetime ago. But really... We should, I think, by night, you know, in the 21st century, have been having some advice on how women should be getting back to running, I'd say, um, or any form of exercise. But no, after I had my baby, I was told at my GP check after having an emergency C-section that I could just get back to any form of exercise when I felt ready. And the problem for me was that during my pregnancy, I hadn't been able to exercise much and had definitely hadn't been able to run simply because I had hyperemesis, which is severe pregnancy sickness. So getting out of bed was quite an achievement for me, if I'm brutally honest. So running was off the cards and that was fine because it just wasn't well enough, but Knowing that I'd had a baby, I was desperate to get back to running for, for both my mental and my physical health. And yet having had a C-section, uh, my C-section scar was really, really quite sore. I had some elements of pelvic floor dysfunction. So I, I leaked during a little bit and I had some vaginal heaviness as well. Very common after having a baby, but not normal. Um, and if I'm honest... I did ask the GP what I should do about those symptoms, but wasn't really given any advice other than, oh, give it a few months and and you'll recover and therefore go back to your exercise if that's what you enjoy. And so I did because I was so desperate to run. I knew I shouldn't be running, but the want overrode the should, I guess. And so I did get back to running and I got back to running really, really effectively and successfully for the first six months. And then things started to go really pear-shaped. I got a terrible back pain, which turned out to be a disc prolapse. I had a very small pelvic organ prolapse. Again, pretty common symptoms after having a baby. But if I'd rehabilitated and introduced exercise slowly back into my uh, daily living, I strongly suspect I wouldn't have had any of those issues. So 
long-winded way of saying if only there had been some guidance I felt I would have had a much more successful return to run without any of those symptoms hindering me and I just thought to myself well if I'm having these issues as a physiotherapist I wasn't a pelvic health physiotherapist at the time but if I was having those issues who on else is have on earth is having those issues and speaking to my NCT friends they were all having issues too and I just thought oh my god how do we not have a little bit more guidance around this and that's really the journey I took then into the world of pelvic health physiotherapy and fortunately met Gronia Donnelly who's a great friend of mine now and you know we both had that same conversation let's try and create a little bit of guidance a little bit of conversation around this area And in 2018, we released our guidelines based on evidence, but based largely on anecdotal evidence, because surprise, surprise, it's not that much evidence out there, just simply because we wanted to give clinicians and coaches, but also women, a bit of an idea as to when they might want to consider returning to higher impact sports without hindering themselves or not rehabilitating. And in truth, you know, having a baby is such a monumental event our body changes so much in such a short space of time and it's bonkers really that at six weeks we'd be thinking that most of us are ready for that return to sport anyway because if we experience any other form of sport injury let's say even a sprained ankle we would give ourselves time to rehabilitate safely back to the exercise we want to do and that's really where the guidance came from the idea of the guidance is that we give women a really uh, preventative approach that be really nice that women are reading those guidelines before they have any pelvic floor issues like I had. But if they do have those issues, then they've got some guidance as to when they should and shouldn't return. So hopefully they're helpful and hopefully they're easy for us all to understand so that we're all sort of singing from the same song sheets. That's brilliant. And if women do want to get back into running or other kind of high intensity exercise after having a baby, where can they find this information? Is it something that GPs know about now or do they have to sort of google on the internet and find you to get that advice yeah I mean I think the guidelines are getting out there we have got some really good official guidance from the chief medical officer and their infographics are great they give you some good ideas as to when to get back to exercise postnatally and you know without giving too much away we'd recommend you get back to exercise soon as soon as you feel ready to be active after having your baby then I strongly encourage that and that can be within a day of having your baby but it's all about what the right type of exercise is to do at the right time so exercise or physical activity to be clear is walking upstairs going for a walk doing your pelvic floor exercises it's all about how we frame exercise Um, But the Chief Medical Officer Guidance gives you some great ideas. You can download our guidance for free off of my website, but you can Google them for free um, and any practitioner can access them. And this conversation is stronger now than it was when I had my babies. So you can hopefully find some really good, clear advice on lots of people's blogs and websites now hopefully based a lot on what we've said but we're evolving the conversation the conversation still needs to evolve we're not there yet but I think the information is more accessible than it was certainly nine years ago when I had Oscar. And what sort of things do women need to watch out for when they get back into running what are the common pitfalls and mistakes that we all make? 
I mean, there's no set time. So when we wrote the guidance, we gave a bit of an idea that around about 12 weeks was a good time to start thinking about returning to running. But it wasn't this gold magic number, okay? And I think that's a bit of a pitfall that we've come across is everyone now thinks, great, 12 weeks, I'm going back to running. But if you have symptoms of urinary leakage or urinary urgency, fecal incontinence or fecal urgency, any sort of heaviness or dragging in the vaginal area, any pelvic abdominal or low back pain, then there's signs that your body's just not ready yet. And that's really okay because let me tell you, it's probably happening to about one in three women in, in some instances. You're not alone, but it's a sign that maybe you need a little bit of help, a little bit of support, which someone like myself could can offer. Pelvic health physiotherapy highly recommended after having a baby and you know I think for a long time we have been brought up to believe that those signs and symptoms do happen after having a baby and it's just part of being a mother well it's not it's definitely not Um, and it's not okay that a lot of women have to avoid the exercise they love because of those symptoms or do the exercise they love with those symptoms so if you're experiencing those symptoms just pull back If you haven't run for any of a pregnancy like me and you don't have any of those symptoms, then give yourself some time to build back up to running. Running's a really demanding sport. And, you know, the old saying of don't run before you can walk. Well, you know, don't run before you can walk. Get stronger. Go for walks. Get on the bike. Go swimming. Find other ways of exercising just so that your body can cope with the demands that that sport's asking of it. But I would, of course, highly recommend that everyone gets physically active and exercise. But with that support, sometimes that's what's needed. You referred to it a minute ago, but you originally trained as a more general physiotherapist and then specialised in women's health. Was it your own birth and postnatal experience that inspired that transition or was it an area you've always been interested in? Yeah, it was an always, always an area that I was interested in. So when I trained as a physio in the old days, we used to more commonly do four monthly rotations and I carried out a women's health rotation when I was in my 20s and I loved it I just didn't necessarily relate to it and like a lot of things when you suddenly have been there the penny drops and it was quite a penny dropping moment when I fell pregnant actually as to the importance of women's health and also quite an eye-opening moment where I thought my god you know we as physios musculoskeletal physios don't necessarily always get this or consider pelvic health when we're treating women who even are maybe 20 years postnatal. Um, You know, there really hasn't been that much thought around women's health, I would say, in our world until recently. There's always been pelvic health physios, but they've kind of been siloed off. They go into another room and we let them do their thing. And that's bonkers because really pelvic health physiotherapy is just another form of musculoskeletal or sports physiotherapy. Um, and it's really, really important that we're, we're really changing the narrative around that because as we train, we should be exposed to pelvic health and we're not hugely, if I'm honest. So, yeah, I mean, like a lot of pelvic health physios, we get into this because we get it and we've experienced it. And then you just think, no way is any other woman going to experience this if I've had to experience it. But I wish I'd found it when I first qualified because it's just the most 
brilliant job and it's it's a part of physiotherapy that really works you know we we really can get women better we can't get everyone better in in physio world but I definitely think in the world of public health we get we really do make a difference so it's brilliant I love it and I would encourage anyone who is a physio or thinking of being a physio to go into this world and it's really interesting what you say about pelvic health videos sitting in another room doing their pelvic thing and everyone ignoring them because I always find this really astonishing because the pelvis literally is like the cornerstone of your body isn't it everything goes through there if you want to have powerful legs or a powerful torso it's all got to go through the middle 100% it's fascinating actually because you know within the world of sports we don't really think about the pelvis in the sense of pelvic health and we're really understanding more and more now that pelvic health can be related to uh, perhaps other musculoskeletal issues like low back pain, hip pain, groin pain. And we're now starting to think, well, if we address pelvic health earlier, then are we going to improve the performance of athletes? Are we obviously going to prevent pelvic floor dysfunction occurring for all women as we get older? Because pelvic floor dysfunction is not a badge of honor for just pregnant and postnatal women. It can affect any woman at any time. Um, You don't have to have had a baby to have pelvic floor issues. Young girls experience pelvic floor issues. We're seeing a lot of athletes who haven't had kids. They are experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction, maybe because we're not preparing women and girls around pelvic health. And if we were, what changes would we make? But also because of the demands of the sport on their body. And so if if we're kind of ignoring this area and this muscle, and that area is being asked so much of, then maybe it makes sense that we should be training that area as well. So it's an exciting time to be in pelvic health because we you know we're trying to think about everyone, not just the perinatal population. And I think if we do that, I'd be really interested to see as we get older and obviously our population is aging, hopefully we're going to start seeing a reduction in the number of women suffering from pelvic floor dysfunction. Because once we get to the older ages in our 70s, 80s and 90s, urinary leakage is, I think it's the second most cited reason for going into a nursing home. And unfortunately, it's one of the reasons women trip and fall and fracture their hips, which leads to uh, some, uh, unfortunately death for some women. So, so if we can just get on top of some, some of these symptoms earlier in life, wouldn't it be just brilliant to see what a difference we'd make as we get older? would be fantastic and yeah like you say it's so it is an exciting time I think because even compared to when you had your child nine years ago I think we're having a lot more conversations aren't we and it is becoming more of a thing it's still not enough of a thing in my opinion but it's becoming more of a normalized thing that we talk about and do things about which is fantastic definitely and that's why this sort of podcast is so important I'd have loved this podcast nine years ago you're talking about you know you don't have to have had a baby to have pelvic floor issues anything that puts a lot of impact through your body can affect your pelvic floor is that the same case for men as well because men have pelvic floors too which we often forget about you are spot on yeah men do have pelvic floors they don't have quite so much vulnerability to that muscle and that tissue simply because they have two holes we have three holes so that third hole can create a little more dysfunction um and so yeah we definitely see men having pelvic floor issues and ignoring them like women do i'd say they happen more midlife 
with men. I don't treat men. But again, it's really a great area to treat because it's really successful. We can really get men better with the pelvic floor issues. So yes, of course, if you know of any men that have pelvic floor dysfunction, if they're talking about it, hopefully, or just having that conversation with them, breaking down those barriers and, you know, busting those myths around pelvic floor issues, then let them know because yes, they can suffer from pelvic floor issues, less so, but they do for certain. And I think that's one of the reasons that pelvic floors have been so taboo up until now. Isn't it? It's seen as like, oh, that's a childbirth thing and everything to do with exactly. childbirth is a bit yucky and we don't really want to talk about it. But yeah, actually it affects all of us, men and all women. All of us. It's just another muscle. You know, it literally is the same muscle type as any, you know, your bicep. Quite happy to wear biceps. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we really do need to be talking about this really important area. And you talk about the fact that pelvic health physio is great because there are actually real solutions and often there are quite simple fixes to a lot of these problems and I've spoken to some of your colleagues in the field who have spoken about treating women who have been suffering with leakage for sort of decades and they do some exercises for a few months and actually these problems can be solved which is fantastic but I think we're probably I mean you're very good at getting up and doing your running so this might not apply to you but (laughs) speaking on behalf of all of us that are not so good at that um I think we all know that we should do our pelvic floor exercises and yet we don't like so many of us just don't we just don't get around to it or we're worried about doing it wrong or I don't know what do you think it is that stops women from doing these exercises that are the solution to a lot of these problems I mean, that is the magic question, isn't it? And I don't quite have the magic answer. I would say from the hundreds of women that I've treated, the biggest reason women seem to not do these exercises is uh, because they don't prioritise themselves enough. (laughs) I'm sure you haven't heard that before on this podcast. I think often if you haven't got any pelvic floor issues, it's like anything, isn't it? You think, oh, I'll do it another day. There's nothing there to remind you to do these exercises. What I would say is if you are someone that hasn't got any pelvic floor issues, that's brilliant. That's exactly where we want you to be. But we want to take a proactive rather than a reactive approach to all of this, like we should in most cases with healthcare, really. So I think it's quite a stretch to ask any woman, but particularly a mother, to do their pelvic floor exercises every day if they haven't got any symptoms. What we definitely know is that women in general should be strength training more. So at least twice a week, I'd argue three times a week. So if you can try and incorporate pelvic floor exercises into either your strength training or teeth brushing three times a week, then you're on track for having good pelvic floor strength. Well, definitely, but hopefully. And it's about creating a habit. So the reason we say every day is to create that habit. But if that's just not doable for you, aim for a couple of times a week. If you are someone who has got pelvic floor symptoms, then hopefully the symptom itself is enough to drive you to do the pelvic floor exercises. And if I'm honest, what I tend to see is women come and see me in clinic. They're really symptomatic. They're amazing at doing their pelvic floor exercises until their symptoms start getting a little bit better then they lose that reminder or that worry and they stop doing them again. The thing you have to remember is once you've had pelvic floor issues, there's a chance they'll come back. So you do need to think about doing your pelvic floor exercises forever, really. But just like you brush your teeth, it doesn't need to be low. So once a day or a couple of times a week will probably carry you over. 
And I don't know if that will incentivize anyone, but they literally do take two or three minutes. So we aren't asking for a 30 minute workout here. We're saying two or three minutes, incorporate it into something else you're doing. And perhaps that will help. But I think the real key is getting into that habit. And it's just like anything, isn't it? It's like any other form of exercise or changing your diet or increasing the amount of water you're drinking. You've got to just sometimes prioritize and think, okay, right here, right now, I'm feeling great. But in 10 years time, perhaps when I'm perimenopausal, changes might happen. And therefore, knowing that you can do something that simple to reduce those symptoms occurring I hope would be enough for a lot of women to make those changes. I remember asking my women's health physio, when can I stop doing them? And she just sort of laughed. It's like doing a marathon and then saying, right, well, I've, I've exercised now. So that's it. That's me for <laughs> life. Like, it doesn't stop. You actually do have to keep doing it your whole life. We also know that we should be exercising or being physically active really every day for 30 minutes. We also know we should be eating our day fruit and veg we also know we should be drinking two liters of water and it's it's great if we're doing it but there are going to be days where it just doesn't happen and that's just life um and that's okay because every pelvic health physio on this planet isn't doing that pelvic exercises every day i'm really interested to ask you whether doing some is better than doing nothing or whether you need to do it all correctly because i think certainly personally a big barrier for me has been knowing what I'm supposed to do, which is to lie down, preferably do it first thing in the morning, do the like sort of 10 sets of 10 seconds. And realistically, first thing in the morning, I'm woken by a screaming toddler (laughs) and I have to get up. And then the next time I have lying down, it's sort of 11 p.m. at night. And I think, oh, well, I I know I'm not supposed to do them last thing at night because your pelvic floor is tired, but actually that's the first chance I've had to lie down all day. And then I also know that you really should start by doing them lying down and not standing up because you want to start off in that position so all of these things I know about the best practice actually prevent me ever actually getting around to doing it properly so is it better to do them standing up when you've got five minutes brushing your teeth that's not sort of best way of doing them or do you need to sort of start properly from the beginning doing what the evidence says do you know what I think we need to come away from this rule book of how to do things because it just doesn't happen, does it, as you're you're saying. Um, There isn't a right or wrong. What is right is what's right for you. So we're all individuals. We all react to these exercises differently. We all do them at different times. So like you, I I can't fit them in in the morning. I actually do them uh, around lunchtime. We say aim for the morning simply because that tends to be when our muscles in general react most effectively but I don't always go running of a morning I sort of go in the evening when I haven't managed to fit it in so it just has to be a time that works for you so as I say around lunchtime just happens to work for me lying actually is a good place to start your pantheroid exercises particularly when you just had your baby it's a really nice way of reconnecting with the muscle without overstressing it and you tend to feel it a little easier when you're lying on your side in particular I actually try and encourage women to do it mainly in standing simply because that is where we spend a lot of our lives. Your muscles adapt better to the position that it's in the most. So if you want to run, then makes, it makes no sense to do your pelvic floor exercises lying down because you don't run lying down. If you do, that's impressive. But you don't run lying down. So therefore, the muscle needs to be reactive to the position that you're in. So I'd encourage you to do it in standing 
What I would say, don't compromise on your form. So if you can only do three or four pelvic floor exercises because you just haven't got time, it'd be better to do them really well than just squeeze, 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 squeeze. Oh, that'll do. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much you'll get out of that. But if you're doing them well and you're doing them at a time and in a position that suits you, go for it. There is way too much pressure on us all to do the perfect way. There isn't a perfect way. The perfect way is the perfect way for you. That is so refreshing to hear because I think, you know, it's so easy to think, oh, well, I was supposed to do 10 sets of 10 seconds and I've done like one. So therefore, that's another thing I failed at and I'm not good enough for my exercises. Oh, my God. Even if you're doing it a couple, let me tell you, that's more than most of people (laughs) I see, first of all, in clinic. And I do think I just think there's so much pressure on us to do things a certain way, to be the perfect mum, be the perfect exerciser, be the perfect worker it's just it's too much and we really need to take a step back and I think once the pressure's off we tend to do things more anyway so your brilliant book is called why did no one tell me what are the most common things that women come to you saying nobody told me about this there's so many there are so many I guess the biggest one is why did no one tell me actually being a monk is, is so difficult? Because it really, I personally found it really hard. You know, it's babies don't come with a, a manual. And I think we all expect to have the answer to how to be the perfect parent. Just spoiler alert, there isn't such a thing as the perfect parent. Well, there certainly isn't as far as I'm concerned. I think women really underestimate how much the tiredness, um, the exhaustion, it really does seem to get to them physically and mentally. And I do think in our particular society, we don't allow enough time for women to rest and recover from having a baby. And of course, then that's going to affect their healing. Um, I think women really underestimate how big a deal childbirth is. I mean, without wanting to scare anyone, because it's a very natural process, or it should be. But it's, it's hard. It's really demanding on your body. And then we're chucked out of hospital. We've had babies in hospitals within a day or two for most. And we're kind of just expected to get on with it with this new, amazing baby in front of us and kind of meant to know how to do it all. Let me tell you, no one has the answers. It's a le- huge learning curve. And I think that's always a, a real big eye opener. Um, lots of women don't expect to have pelvic floor issues. If, I, if I'm honest, I think they think it might happen, but they don't think it will happen to them. And one in three women that you're in us having a baby, one in 10, unfortunately, suffer from fecal incontinence um, and around one in two will have an, a sign or element of pelvic organ prolapse. So uh, on one hand, we want to really reassure and, and normalize these things and say, well, look, this is part of having a baby. You can't expect your body to change that much and not experience perhaps some changes, But as I've said, you know, these things, we really can treat these things. Um, And it's just a case of not putting up and living with them. And I think the other, the third, if you like, the third thing that women are always surprised about is how difficult breastfeeding is. Mm. I mean, I think for, for me personally, breastfeeding was the best thing in the world, but it was by far the hardest thing in the world. I, my son had a tongue tie. And that was misdiagnosed for some time. And I got mastitis and engorgement. I oh, never forget it. it. It was quite, quite something else. And I think there's so much pressure on women to just pop baby on boob and expect for it to be this natural process. 
And it's really okay that it's not. And it's really okay to reach out for help because the majority of my NCT crew definitely reached out for help. And I think knowing that or knowing that if it's not for you, it's okay, that really is okay. There's just so much pressure on women to be this perfect person, this perfect mother. And we're all struggling in our own little way. And I just think, oh, I just want to kind of say to everyone, it's okay that it's difficult because we've all found it difficult, regardless of what Instagram is showing you. (laughs) (laughs) And it's that change in identity as well. You know, you really know, or most women know who they are before they become a mum. And then all of a sudden, I certainly didn't know who I was, what I wanted to be. And I think that's why you see so many women change their career path at this time, because all of a sudden you think, oh, no, hang on, I don't want to do this, or I do want to do this. Um, So it can be a really exciting time, but it can also be a really challenging time where women feel really vulnerable. And I'm just not convinced that society gets that or accepts that. Mm. And I think it's perfectly normal and perfectly fine to feel utterly discombobulated. It's a bonkers time. And like all things, things settle down. And for most of us, they get a lot, lot better. But it can be a really isolating time. And I've, I've seen that through covid I just don't think women are getting the support or the community that they need postnatally. And it's it's so heartbreaking because so many women are struggling at the moment. Um, but that's why things like this podcast are so important because you do realise when you listen that you're not alone and you're actually quite normal. And you touched on it just then, but do you think that in terms of the healthcare, both the sort of physical and mental healthcare and the practical support side of things, is there adequate provision of that for new mums in this country at the moment? No, I don't think there is. Um, you know, the waiting lists are really long. The support just hasn't come back since COVID. And I get it. You know, the NHS is hugely stressed. There's not enough workers, not enough staff. So it's an incredibly difficult time. I don't think it was perfect before COVID, by the way. I, you know, it definitely wasn't really as I'd love for it to be. But there definitely seems to be this, there seems to be more isolation now and less, less opportunity to ask questions. And when you're waiting for 10 weeks to ask your public health physio or a doctor a few weeks to get a question answered, you know, that's not great. And I just think it's really hard for women to access support at the moment. But there are amazing charities out there and websites to visit if you're struggling And then, of course, there's lots of public health physios out there to offer you more of that physical support. And just to be clear, you should be able to access us by the GP for free through the NHS. If you do want to access us privately, you can as well. So there's lots of people to help, but it's knowing how and where to find those people. But I do think someone like a public health physio generally tends to be well linked with the whole postnatal population and community and can signpost you to someone that you might be able to offer you more support. And like you say, you're so much more than just checking the physical side of things because all the women's health videos I've spoken to are so empathetic and understanding. We only you probably sort of have an unofficial agony aunt slash counselling service <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, we do a little bit. We we have the privilege of long time with you. We get an hour and we, a lot comes out in an hour. And we do consider you as a whole. So we think about you physically, but we also think about you mentally as well. And I think it's just so nice, isn't it, to talk to someone who understands what you're going through. So, yeah, yeah. can't recommend seeing Women's Health Video highly enough. 
So finally, before you go, I just wanted to ask my final question, which is there's one thing you could change about the world we live in, which should help new mothers. What would it be? I mean, I don't want anyone listening that hasn't had a baby to be put off being a mum because it it really is the most incredible, brilliant job in the world. You know, I wouldn't change it for anything, but the realities are that it can be quite difficult and it can be really challenging on our physical and our mental health. And I just think, as we've touched on, you know, there are more and more honest stories out there, but I don't think we necessarily get exposed to the full picture, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess just more realness and more more postnatal support because every woman I see always says to me, I felt so looked after during pregnancy. And as soon as I had my baby, I just felt like I didn't matter mm-hmm. anymore. And of course, baby has to be priority. Of course, baby's the most important thing. But a mother is also the most important thing. I don't know who said the saying that when a baby's born, a mother's also born. But that's so true. You know, a new part of you exists and a new part of you needs to be nurtured and loved. And you need to learn that job. And if you don't have a community supporting you and and teaching you, then it's, it's a really tough gig. So, you know, I just think we need to give mums a little bit more love and a little bit more support and a little bit more honesty brilliant and I just wanted to add it's really interesting that you said oh I don't want to put anybody off because I think we still have such this hang up don't we that we don't want to say anything bad about motherhood because people get scared or put off and actually I think sometimes I try and liken being a mum to running a marathon like yeah you if you run that marathon you're going to feel so good about yourself it's going to be the most intense positive experience but it doesn't mean it's not going to be really hard mentally physically exhausting and I think it can probably be the proudest most exciting happiest moment of your life crossing that finishing line but it doesn't mean you're not knackered or that your legs aren't hurting or that you're going to need to rest afterwards exactly right and what gets you through a marathon is the community is the supporters around you because I've done a marathon I've done I've done two marathons, not very well, but I've done them. And, oh, my God, hitting the wall at, I don't know, 17 miles. Honestly, I would have quit. Mm-hmm. But the only thing, other than jelly babies, that kept me going were the, the, the supporters. I don't know those supporters, but they, you know, they read my name, they cheered me on, and it doesn't just have to be people you know supporting you. It can just be other people strangers like myself supporting you and it really can get you through the tough times so don't be frightened to reach out don't be frightened to be vulnerable because we've all been there you know most have come through the other end smiling and you know there really is a lot of support out there for women but I wish there was more yeah so we all need our supporters and <laughs> to be honest some jelly babies wouldn't go miss either yeah. <laughs> There's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. And so much, Rosie. If you want to hear more from Emma, you can follow her on Instagram at UK. She's also on Twitter and Facebook. I've put links to all of her socials and her website in the show notes. On Emma's website, which is physiomum.co.uk, you can also find the returning to running guidelines that she chatted about in this episode. We've chatted a little bit today about what you can do if you're struggling with your mental health. 
There are a couple of organisations that Emma really recommends. One of these is Pandas, which provides postnatal mental health support and Make Birth Better, which can be really useful if you've experienced birth trauma. So I've also put links to both of those in the notes. Don't forget that you can also speak to your GP and request a referral to NHS Mental Health Services if you have any concerns. Equally, if you have any concerns about your pelvic health, then please, please do speak to your GP. Ask for a referral to Women's Health Physiotherapy. In some areas, you can actually do a self-referral to this as well. Or if you want to see a Women's Health Physio privately, then they are amazing. And they're also relatively inexpensive compared to other types of private healthcare. So don't freak out thinking that it might be thousands of pounds. Most sessions are somewhere between sort of 50 and 75 pounds, depending on where you live. But Obviously, that's still a lot of money. It's still got to come out of tight resources, especially at the moment, especially if you're on maternity pay. But I have to say from a personal perspective, if you're going to spend sort of £65 on anything this year, making that investment in yourself, in your own health, getting checked, making sure everything's okay, learning how to do exercises that are going to set you up, not just for your postpartum recovery, but for life. It's so worth it. I can't recommend it highly enough. So absolutely, you know, do try and access NHS services if you can. But if you're interested in seeing someone privately, then you can find a registered physiotherapist on the Pelvic Obstetric and Gynecological Physiotherapy website. Bit of a mouthful. Um, I've put a link to that in the show notes too. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time. 